let's hear what God has to say, all right? So if you open with me to Hebrews chapter 11, we've been in a series, Feed Your Faith and Starve Your Fears. And, and I don't know if over the, the past weeks, if God's been uh, doing a work of encouraging you to go deeper, of faith rising up, uh, sometimes when when we pursue God to want to have our, our faith grow, do you know how you know how God answers that on occasion? He said if, if, if our faith is going to grow, God uses his word to feed our soul, right? But he also uses circumstances to stretch us, to test us. And so I don't know if you should be surprised. I'm not surprised that if through this series you're going, why are, why are these situations happening? And, and why is everything going wrong? And why am I having days where I'm just... I'm pressed and, and why I'm, I'm feeling so overwhelmed. And it's because God is at work, right? God is doing something to grow you, to mature you, that, that you would see your faith thrive in the midst of it. And God is desiring that for us as a church. When we kicked off, we, we talked about this, that, that faith is not a blind leap in the dark, that faith has a substance that we grab a hold of. It, it's not someday we'll see that in part, God has given us so much that, that our spiritual eyes can see, that there is substance today to grab a hold of, that our faith is not an empty, I hope so, faith. It's a faith based on facts, based on truth. And so the way that we are going to feed our faith is by getting into the Word until the Word gets into us, right? The way that we fuel, the way that we feed ourselves is by God's food. Right? And so hopefully you have uh, a Bible, and as you have turned to Hebrews 11, we want to focus on this. We want to focus on the life of Joseph, as the author of Hebrews emphasizes in the hall of faith for us today, one verse, verse 22. And if you need an outline, go ahead and raise your hand as you have Hebrews 11 open. Raise your hand up high if you need an outline. Uh, go ahead and get a, get a pen be able to take some notes. Did you know that even on the, on the app uh, that you have for your Bible app, you're able to highlight stuff on there. Uh, you're able to use different colors, highlighters, depending on what program you have, all right? So let's get engaged in God's Word. We're going to be covering a lot of territory as we look at Joseph's dysfunctional start, but here's what faith does. Faith finishes. Faith finishes. And so we are, we're going to be asking the question at, at the get-go, uh, do you have a story of dysfunction growing up? Some of you are around family, so be careful how you answer that. Some of us have maybe greater, more glorious stories of just how dysfunctional our upbringing was, how dysfunctional our family was. Well, I think Joseph is, is going to have all of us beat, okay? As we dive into Joseph's story, talk about dysfunction to the max. And we, we mentioned this last week. It doesn't matter how you start. And some of us have had a rocky start with our faith. Some of us are kind of coming late in the game to faith. But the reality is it doesn't matter where you've been. It doesn't matter how dysfunctional your upbringing, and the start of your faith was. What matters is that your faith finishes, that you are not slowing down, but you are speeding up as you look at the finish line 
and that faith finishes and finishes well. We're going to take a look at verse 22 in Hebrews 11. We need to start here. This might be one of the longest introductions ever, okay? So, so you got to lean in a little bit. you got to be taking some notes. We're going to start with Genesis 37. We're going to make our way to the end of, of Genesis, and we're going to do a big overview. We, we kind of took a, a 30,000-foot view of Jacob last week, and so we want to do that here with Joseph. Genesis 37, uh, just a, a, a few points if you just want to jot down the address and just be listening to this. These are the generations of Jacob, Joseph being 17. Okay, I don't know if you thought about this. He's a teenager. He was pastoring a flock with his brothers. He was a boy with the sons of Bilhah and Zilpah, his father's wives. Joseph, he brought a bad report of them to their father. Now, Israel, right? Remember, who, who's Israel? Formerly known as was Jacob, now Israel, loved Joseph. Everybody say favorite. There we go. That, that's his fave, right? Joseph, more than any of the other of his sons, because he was the son of his old age, and he made him a robe of many colors. But when his brothers saw that their father loved him more than all his brothers, they hated him. Oh, no. Where's this going? They, they, they could not even speak peaceably to him. Now, Joseph had a dream. Do you remember that? And when he told it to his brothers, they hated him even more. All right? Not good. Not good. He said to them, hear this dream. Hear this dream that, that, that I dreamt. Behold, oh, we were, we were binding sheaves in the field. And behold, my, my sheaf arose and stood upright. And behold, your sheaves, guess what they did? They, they gathered around it and they bowed down. They bowed down. And his brother said to him, are you indeed to reign over us? Or are you indeed to rule, really rule over, over us? Is that what you're saying? So they hated him even more. I don't, I don't know how much hatred, how deep this can go, but every verse, more hatred, more hatred. And he told it to his brothers and said, behold, I, I have another dream. I had another dream. Uh, anybody think that Joseph's a little dense? Like, they hate you like three times over. Don't tell them another dream, Okay. Here, here's what was happening. The sun, the moon, 11 stars, all bowing down to me. But when he told it to his father and to his brothers, his father rebuked him, corrected him, and said, what is this dream that you have dreamed? Shall I and your mother and your brothers indeed come to bow ourselves to the ground before you? His brothers were jealous of him, but his father kept the saying in his mind. His dad was listening, even though he rebuked him and thought about it quite a bit. Fast forward couple chapters we have Genesis 39 gives us some more information about Joseph uh, after all that happened to him uh, I don't know if you remember we don't have a lot of time but uh, instead of uh, killing him they were so merciful just to throw him in a pit right rob him of his robe get it all bloodied up take it home lie about his death sold him into slavery he's taken to Egypt right good riddance of that dreamer and here's what we what we learn how in the world can god allow bad things to happen to his people even his people that he has future promises and hope for well he's in prison and here we go the lord was with joseph and showed him steadfast love poured out love on him gave him favor in the sight of the keeper of the prison and the keeper of the prison put Joseph in charge of all the prisoners who were in prison. 
Whatever was done there, he was the one who did it. The keeper of the prison paid no attention to anything that was in Joseph's charge. Fully trusted him because the Lord was with him. Where, where was the Lord with Joseph? In prison. In prison. Uh, did he do anything wrong to deserve to be there? Absolutely not. Unjust, right? Horrific to be wronged by your family this way. But guess what? Did God leave him? Did God make a mistake? Did, did God kind of uh, fall asleep and then all of a sudden he's in this mess? Uh, God's there every step of the way and it's a pouring out love on him, committed to him. The Lord was with him and whatever he did, the Lord made it successful. And I, as I was just reading through the backstory of Joseph, I just jotted down, even in great suffering, God is for you and at work in you. Even in the great suffering, and I, I don't know what you've been through, I don't know what you're going through, and if you're not in a season of suffering, then odds are coming to a doorstep near you, your future is going to be marked by waves and waves, seasons and seasons of suffering, and as we go through it, great suffering, even in the midst, God is for you, God is at work in you. We see this in Joseph's life, and, and here as part of his, his story is uh, soon he is the vice president, right, of Egypt. Uh, his boss, the king of Egypt, his, his wife, Potiphar's wife, uh, temptress, right, and pursuing Joseph. Joseph does the right thing, and he's accused again of wrong for doing what's, what's right. Injustice, left and right, for Joseph's life. In Genesis 45, then Joseph could not control himself before all those who stood by him as he is face to face with his, his family that has come down looking for food, and he sees them face to face. After all of these years, we see in chapter 45, uh, it comes full circle, right? He's the one that has paved a way to make sure that uh, there is not starvation across the land. He is the one that God has given wisdom to, and now his family is here in Egypt looking for food. They're starving to death. He says that he cried, make everybody go out, make everybody leave. No one stayed with him when Joseph made himself known to his brothers. He revealed himself. They didn't remember him. He clearly remembered them. And he wept out loud so that the Egyptians even heard it. The household of Pharaoh, everybody heard him weeping. And Joseph said to his brothers, I'm Joseph. Is, is dad still alive? But his brothers could not even answer for they were absolutely dismayed at his presence. What do you think was going to, through their head? Like, we came to survive, right, the famine. We came down here looking for food, and we thought this was our only hope of survival. Instead, we just walked into our own execution, right? We did such wrong to our brother. Now, he's going to get even. He's going to get back. He said, come near to me, please. And, and they, they walked up to him, and they said, I'm your, I'm your brother, Joseph whom you sold into slavery, into Egypt. Remember, remember? Now do not be distressed. Don't freak out. Don't get angry with yourselves because you sold me here. Here's his response, right? By faith. For God sent me before you to preserve your life. For the famine has been in the land these years, and there are yet five more years in which there's going to be neither plowing nor harvest. It's, it's, we're just warming up. 
God sent me before you to preserve for you a remnant on the earth, to keep alive for you many, many survivors. So it was not you who sent me here. You thought you did wrong. You thought you destroyed me. But God actually sent me here in spite of all these circumstances. He has made me a father to Pharaoh, lord of all of his house, ruler over all the land of Egypt. Do you you think that going through all that Joseph went through, that he might have some things to teach us? That he might have a perspective that maybe we lack at different times? Maybe even something that you're currently coming out of, that you're going into, that with a different perspective, that the circumstances, even though the circumstances won't change, you will be able to navigate through the circumstances completely different with a different perspective, putting different lenses on. Not, God, make it go away. Make it better. God, take away the pain. Take away the trial. But instead, God, give me eyes to see what it is that you want me to do, how you want me to respond. God, what are you showing me? What are you teaching me? God, I'm listening. I want my faith to grow. I want to feed my faith. And here's Joseph teaching us a number of things. But one thing I wrote down, if you're taking notes, here we go, here we go. Longest intro ever, done. Everybody say it's done. Woo, okay, all right. Here's what Joseph teaches us. Accelerate across the finish line, living your God-given purpose. Accelerate across the finish line, living your God-given purpose. I think many of us naturally slow down to a snail's pace crossing the finish line, trying to live our dream, our vision, our purpose, God's will for God's people is that we actually accelerate across the finish line and we're living for a purpose much bigger than ourselves. Here's where we have Hebrews 11:22, our single verse for this morning. By faith, Joseph, at the end of his life, made mention of the exodus of the Israelites and gave directions concerning his bones. What in the world is that all about? All right. Well, obviously they did things a little different back then. But one thing by faith that Joseph did is he emphasized what God has done in the past, he is going to continue to do in the future. He was faithful then, he's going to be faithful now. If you're jotting some ideas down here, I just I want to ask a question. I want all of us to ask this question as we look at Joseph's life. Is your faith passionate for future generations? Just like we saw in Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, we now see in Joseph a passion to look back at God's faithfulness, but to think about generations ahead. And we're going to land here with Genesis 50. Here's the end of Joseph's life. If he accelerated across the finish line, Let's take a look. Verse 22, so if you want to flip to Genesis 50 and the remainder of our time, we just want to look at this life of Joseph, how it concluded, all right? You got, you got the 30,000-foot overview of kind of where he's been, where he ended up, but how did he finish? Genesis 50, 22 through 23. So Joseph remained in Egypt, he and his father's house. Joseph lived 110 years. Joseph saw Ephraim's children of the third generation. That's pretty awesome, right? So he didn't just see 
his kids, not just his grandkids, but great-grandchildren. That sounds familiar, that we have three generations. I don't, I don't know who all has been around, but we talked about that we are a church of discipleship and that we see in the Old Testament here three generations, but we also saw, here's a little, little caveat to discipleship, right, that Paul was looking at Timothy in 2 Timothy 2.2, and Jesus met with Paul, right, rocked him, uh, rocked his world, knocked him off his horse. Paul called to the ministry, grabbed a hold of Timothy, poured his life into Timothy. That's one generation. Those that Timothy had an impact on, faithful men, 2 Timothy 2.2 says, pour into Timothy. Timothy, identify faithful people that you are going to invest in, that you're going to disciple, and it's not done yet. The third generation is those faithful people that Paul poured into Timothy and Timothy poured into them identify others also to invest your life in. Paul had a vision for three generations of discipleship. And here we have in the Old Testament, we have Joseph. After all he's been through, he has every reason to say, God, I want nothing to do with your plan. I want nothing to do with the future. I just want this nasty, unfair, unjust life. I want to retire well. I think I deserve it. But where did Joseph land? After hardship and horrors, trusting God every step of the way, his heart was thinking about generation after generation after generation. His story wasn't over yet. Do you think living to be 110, he had some justification to say, man, you've been through a lot. Take it easy, right? Right? And in his later years, 100 plus, he was thinking about, God, have your way in my great-grandchildren all the way down. May they follow you. May they trust you. May they hear of my story. And may they remember that you are a faithful God worthy of following and obeying no matter what happens. This is so awesome. Is your faith passionate for future generations? Three generations down. The children also of Machir, the son of Manasseh, were counted as Joseph's own. And I just want to say as a side note, there were kids from other families that were adopted into his family, considered his own, that he wasn't just looking out for his kids and his grandkids and not just thinking about his great-grandkids, but he was looking at other families and saying, God has blessed me. I want to bless even beyond my own lineage, beyond my own family. Come, come in. And, and maybe we can make a case for, for adoption from, from that passage, right? That, that's a different message for for a different day. But I, I love this. In, in regards to aging, in regards to our last years, some of us, we don't think a whole lot about our last years. For others, we think about it every single day. How long do I have left? Well, J.I. Packer was one of the, the greatest uh, evangelical authors, uh, pastor in, in England, Canada, in the States, huge, huge impact. And well into his 80s, he was continuing to write, continuing to meet with pastors and pour his life into them. And this is what he says. He says, aging, it's not for wimps. That's a good start, huh? Aging is not for wimps. So far as bodily health allows, we should aim to be found running the last lap of the race of our Christian life, as we would say, flat out. Retirees are admonished in our day both 
explicitly and implicitly in terms that boil down to this. Here's the vision. He's saying all of us are, are given for, for our retirement. Relax. Slow down. Take it easy. Amuse yourself. Do only what you enjoy for once. I, I see this agenda, well meant as it is, as wrong-headed in the extreme. I think that's this polite way of saying idiotic. Right? It, it prescribes idleness, self-indulgence, and irresponsibility as the goal of one's declining years. This, over time, will generate a burdensome sense that one's life is no longer significant but has become quite simply useless. The challenge that faces us is not to let physical slowing down produce spiritual slowing down, but to cultivate the maximum zeal for the closing phase of our earthly life. That's pretty powerful, huh? Do you have a vision for your last days, your last weeks, your last months? How do you want to finish Joseph would say, accelerate across the finish line. There is no retirement for believers. The work is not over. Maybe manual labor is over, but the spiritual investment is just getting started. So how will you cross the finish line? I, I think regardless of our age, regardless of our season of life, I think all of us need to pause regularly and ask that question, right? How do I want to finish this race? How do I want to cross over that finish line? Will you retire like Joseph? And so I jotted down from uh, verses 20 and 21, Genesis 50, how to retire like Joseph, all right? If you were asking, I'm, I'm sure you were, how did Joseph retire? I'm glad you asked, okay? Here we go. Grow deeper in theology. Grow deeper in theology. Verse 20 of Genesis 50 gives us a glimpse of how Joseph finished his life off. As for you, he's talking to his brothers, you meant evil against me, but God meant it for good, to bring it about that many people should be kept alive as they are today. How did Joseph end up with that kind of conclusion? Any, anybody think that that's a common conclusion? Like, I've gone through absolute hell and horror my whole life, even though I had these, as a teenager, I had these promises of God and I'm waiting, and I'm waiting, and I'm waiting, and years and years of like, and it's not coming to pass. And when it looks like there's a little glimpse of light, and there's some elevation of position, and there's promotion, all of a sudden there's lying, and there's deception, right? And like I'm in prison, and I'm out of prison, back in prison, wrongly accused. How would you conclude when you see the people that have treated you the worst? And it and for some of us, we, we could probably spend all afternoon doing an open mic, right? We could get all the mics on, pass it around, and we could share stories of those that I trusted, those that were close to me, those that I loved, those that were supposed to be looking out for me, those that, that said that they were for me, and the ways that I was betrayed, and I was lied about, and the ways that I was wronged and hurt and deceived. Do you, do you think that among our church, we might have a few stories like that. We might have quite a few of, oh, it wasn't just once. Let me tell you a story of over the course of years. And let me tell you about my upbringing and the way that I was treated. And we're not just talking about one time. We're talking mom, dad, stepmom, stepdad, whatever, uncle, whatever the situation 
was, I think we have a lot of stories to share of unjust, unfair, so wrong. And at the end of Joseph's life, because he was living by faith through it all, he could conclude with rock-solid theology, a correct view that God is sovereign in control of it all, that this wasn't uh, happenstance, this wasn't just a coincidence that all this was happening, that in his retirement, you could say in his 90s and hundreds, this is where Joseph lived, meditating on absolute, clear, biblical truth, being able to interpret his life circumstances through the lens of doctrine that accurately portrayed who God is, how God works. I don't know about you, but I, I know that we are living in a, a time busier than, than ever, and I think sometimes, it, maybe someday I'll get into studying doctrine, theology, someday I'll nerd out, and I'll, I'll get serious about really going deeper into the Word, and, and there's never going to come a time where you have enough time. There's never going to come a time where you have enough margin and room and space and so no matter what season you're in right now, do you know when the best time to start going deeper in understanding God's truth, God's word, so you can interpret what is happening to you, what has happened to you, what will happen to you? How about today? Today, today is a good day. How about 2022? That's an awesome year to get started. <gasps> We're here. All right. Well, let's begin. Because Joseph, walking through all of this, he was able to go deep with God, to cling to God's promises, to understand his life through the lens, not of his emotions, not of his feelings. He didn't rise up with bitterness and anger and resentment. He didn't replay all of the bad stuff over and over and shake his fist at God like so many do. Instead, he chooses retirement of growing deeper and deeper in theology, understanding who God is, how God works, how he has worked throughout history. And I, I don't know about you, but now that I'm somewhere kind of in the, in the middle a little bit generationally, I am so more passionate today than I've ever been about longing to see those that are going into retirement, that are in retirement, that are in the, the last leg, to be able to live these last years well for the sake of those that are looking on and watching and saying, is it inevitable that even if I love Jesus today and I'm zealous and I'm fired up, that once I hit a certain age, I'm going to turn into just like a mumbling, grumbling mess of complaining and hard-heartedness? Is it inevitable that that's the end of every life, even a good Christian is just going to finish the race dark, negative. Do you, do you know what the church needs? Do you know what Christianity needs? Every generation to accelerate across the finish line, to, to walk off of this earth and step foot into glory with a smile on their face and their nose in the book living the life. That's what we need. Every generation needs to say, what does it look like? Not just to start, but to finish well. Show me how to finish well. Show me. I'm tired of reading stories of people that finish well. I want to see it 
for myself. I want to sit down and have coffee with people that are finishing well. And we need you to live this life for the sake of generations to come. And number two, if you're taking notes, here, here's the second part of retirement plan according to Joseph. Verse 21, do not fear. He could, he could say that with, with great compassion. Don't fear. Don't, don't be afraid. I know, I know, brothers, you're thinking retaliation is coming. Do not be afraid. I will provide for you, not just you, even for your little ones, thinking about generations. Thus he comforted them and spoke kindly to them. Here's a plan for retirement. To retire like Joseph, be kind and generous to the very end. I mean, talk about, I have every right to be upset. I have every right to hold a grudge. I have every right to list all of the things that have been done to me and all the people that have hurt me. How awesome is it that in his very last years, this is how he finishes off. The people that he has every right to execute, right, to to commit absolute righteous justice, right? Instead, he does what? Don't fear. I love you. I'm going to provide for you. I'm going to provide for your whole family. He comforted them. He spoke kindly to them. Everybody say that's insane. That's insane. That's insane. That, that should never have happened. So what, what's, the, what's the key? What's the ingredient? It's because Joseph was just a warm-hearted kind of guy. He was just a, a, a jolly old fellow. God. There, there's one explanation. He didn't trust in his own perspective. He didn't trust in his own recall. He didn't trust in his own plan, his own agenda, his own expectations for retirement. He had faith in a God that was at work every step of the way, and he saw it. It's one thing to say, I believe God. Of course I believe God. Do you know how we show we believe God? Faith looks like absolute forgiveness. Praying for our enemies. Committed even to those that have persecuted us. Showing them love and kindness. This is, this is crazy. Joseph was showing us in every circumstance God's in control. Who do you think allowed for the horrors of your, your past to happen? Who permitted that for a greater purpose? And to conclude with, my God did. My God's in control. Even of that, even of that, that, well, that was totally Satan. Who's the boss of Satan? Who's got Satan on a leash? Our God does. Who allows Satan to take one step towards anybody, anything, at any time? Read the book of Job. God's got Satan on a leash. Stop contributing to Satan what God is ultimately working, even if it looks like it's evil in your eyes and evil in your story. God's working in a way that he's the boss. He's in charge, even the most horrendous circumstances, for good, for good, for good. For good for who? Not just Joseph, right? Part of his retirement plan was, this is part of a bigger story for generations, for nations, right? It's not even about me. This is about 
everyone else being blessed through me. I love that we get to see Joseph's retirement story here. This is awesome. This is awesome. Everybody say that's awesome. Be kind. Be generous. Go deeper in the word, deeper in theology. That's a good retirement plan because God's not done yet. The story's not over. Whatever you've been through, it's not done. It's not done. And so we have number three. Everybody say land the plane. Here we go. Verse 20, verse 24, and then we're going to look at verse 25, these last two. Is your faith growing in God as deliverer? Verse 24, Joseph said to his brothers, I'm about to die, but God will visit you and bring you up out of this land to the land that he promised. He swore to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. God will deliver. God will not keep you here forever. You will be free. Why? Because God said so. When God promises something, he will deliver. He is the deliverer of those that are persecuted, those that are wrong, those that are going through seasons of questionable futures. Are we going to survive? I don't know what's going to happen next. I just wish we could relate in 2022 to a, a global crisis and not knowing what's going to happen next. I mean, this is so far removed from our everyday experience, right? Everybody say wrong. I don't know what's going to happen. I don't know where all this is going. It seems like it's getting darker. Is this the, the end? Well, Joseph's looking around saying, uh, everybody sees death. I see life. Everybody sees horror, right? Everybody sees the end of all happiness. And instead, Joseph looks back at God's promises, and he looks at the future, and he says, God will deliver. God delivers every time. That's what God does. And number three, is your faith confident in God as promise keeper? Verse 25, then Joseph made the sons of Israel swear, saying, God will surely visit you, and you shall carry up my bones from here. And so the idea of there is a memorial of Joseph's death, right? And they're going to carry his bones on, and there's going to be a thought of, what did Joseph go through, and what did Joseph believe, and what was the substance of his faith? And we need to remember, and here we have from, from this point forward, let us not forget what God taught Joseph and that it's for us through him, right? Our future, he knew what was coming for generations. Here we have faith confident in a promise keeper and just asking, am I like that? Am I confident in God's promises? Well, how about this? Here is, here is homework for 2022. There's no way that you can be confident in God's promises if you don't know what God's promises are. True? I think oftentimes we, we speak Christianese, right? We have churchy language that we use. You're like, God, God, God's committed to keeping his promises. He's, he, he won't fail you. And you go, thank you. That's a great encouragement. And we encourage each other with sometimes empty words because we go, I don't even know what God promised. How can I be excited about the promises of God if I don't even know what they are? So instead of giving you a list of 1,846 promises of God throughout Scripture, I'm going to allow you to have the joy, the pleasure of doing your study right through the word and being able to write down every time that you see a promise of God. 
and that you are going to bring it to mind and you're going to meditate on it and you're going to write it down you're going to post it on mirrors and put it in your car and, and make little bookmarks and pass it out to all your friends so that we don't just say, well, God makes promises and he always keeps them and he cannot fail. Fail at what? What did God say he was going to do? Maybe we need to go deeper this year in understanding God made a lot of promises and if we don't know what they are, there's no way our heart is going to rejoice in the promise-making, promise-keeping God, right? It's empty unless we know the substance of those promises that he has committed to us, right, for today, for tomorrow, for all of eternity. There are promises to us that love him, that worship him, that follow him. And so is your faith confident in God as a promise-keeper? I love that we can wrap up here this is the emphasis of the whole series. How am I going to feed my faith? We feed our faith by getting into the word until the word gets into us. We don't feed our faith by waiting for God's audible voice. We're not speculating about if God gives me a, a sign. Our faith grows primarily by hearing the voice of God speak through his word. And I don't, I don't know if you paid attention to the little bumper video that, that we show every week, but you, you see the parallels of every day feeding off of social media and the news and fear-mongering and not knowing and speculating and trying to find answers and getting worked up and us versus them, and we feed our souls every day on the garbage that brings division and death, and every day, here's the invitation, in order to starve your fears we feed ourselves a meal every day we get into the word every single day we devour the promises of god every day we put out the voices the talking heads and we say god i'm listening to you speak truth speak life speak hope to me let's stand together